Produced at the studios of KBOO Radio in Portland, Oregon, this is Free Culture Radio. Free Culture Radio neither promotes the use of any drugs nor condemns people for being involved in drugs. To the extent that drug use presents problems for individuals or society, those problems are made worse and more intractable when people who use drugs are treated as others and ignored, stigmatized, and even brutalized. Eris Nix and Jeremy Callicum are members of the Drug Users Liberation Front in Vancouver, British Columbia. They joined me via Zoom recently. Here's that conversation. All right. Yeah, my name's uh, Jeremy Callicum. I'm an organizer with the uh, Drug User Liberation Front. Hey, my name's Eris Nix. I'm also an organizer with the Drug User Liberation Front. Eris, Jeremy, I want to thank you so much for, uh, for, for, for coming on the show. And, um, and thank you so much for the work you're doing. You're, you're doing some really important work up there in British Columbia. Um, let's start with the organization. Tell me about the Drug User Liberation Front. Yeah, Drug User Liberation Front is an unincorporated coalition of drug user groups, academics, community advocacy groups, and individuals. Uh, and our mission is to provide tangible responses to the overdose crisis in BC and Canada. And primarily that means getting safe supply to people and making it a reality. I think uh, to add more background to that in British Columbia over the last five years, uh, we've had very extreme rates of death with the, you know, last year's numbers being close to 2000 people passing away um, from opiate overdoses. Uh, so the work we're doing is kind of, I guess you could say, designed to prevent these very, very preventable deaths. But, you know, like Jeremy said, offering people drugs with a predictable and labeled content. I think that's a key or key understanding of how to stop all the death to change the regime uh, that is harming so many people, which is prohibition. So tell me about safe supply. What's the uh, what's the yeah. Talk to me about that. I mean, okay, I will. Ostensibly, I think the issue, you know, I like to make this allegory with liquor regulation. When you have deregulated, uh, you know, liquor, when you have prohibitionist policy against liquor or alcohol, uh, it caused three things in the illicit market. It caused the potency of the alcohol to increase because it was easier to smuggle. It provided funds to organize crime. And it caused, uh, you know, toxicity from alcohol poisoning, whether that was from methanol or whatever, was in the uh, moonshine supply to increase dramatically. Uh, and it's the same thing with illicit drugs. So our drug laws, you know, they do not stem from any kind of like medical science. They stem from colonial racist policy. And in Canada specifically, you know, laws against opiates uh, were first used as a prohibition against Chinese folks coming into British Columbia, even more specifically, uh, you know, which was soon followed by, you know, prohibitions against black and brown folks through the, you know, barring of the use of cocaine and marijuana, et cetera, et cetera. So there's really no scientific basis to our drug laws. And what's happened, uh, you know, recently is that the toxicity from a, a deregulated market has gotten so out of control, the content of drugs have become so unpredictable that at any time you use illicit street drugs, you're at risk of death. So this idea of safe supply, uh, you know, is grounded in the understanding that people are going to use drugs anyway, and that they should have access 
two drugs with a predictable, you know, regulated content, much like alcohol, you know, and in, in my ideal world, you have liquor stores that just sell narcotics. Alcohol is the most dangerous drug, you know, both to the individual and to society, according to most scientific research. So it's, it, it's ridiculous that it's sold and controlled <laughs> while all these other drugs are, you know, social no-nos, if you will. Down here in the U.S., the notion of safe supply is, it's a concept, um, and, um, and, it's a, and it's, a, you know, it's a topic to be discussed. You're actually taking it, yeah, you're actually taking it further. You've, uh, the, tell me about the event back in, uh, back, back in July. Yeah, so our thing is that safe supply can't be a rhetoric. It needs to be a reality. It's not to be a talking point for politicians. And when that happens, things get, get stalled and stalled and pushed and finger pointed. Um, so what we did was, you know, we did it. We, our thing is that if people know what they're taking, that drugs can be done relatively safely, even, even fentanyl. If you know the potency of what you're taking, you can take it in a manner that's safe. And for us, what that meant was getting drugs, getting heroin, cocaine, and meth, testing them, labeling them with their potency and ingredients, and giving them out to people who already use drugs. Um, so integrating into supply lines that already exist to keep people at the end safe. I, I think you can think about Dolph, the, you know, the Drug User Liberation Front and our actions as kind of like a market intervention. We don't have the solution, you know, we're just two ding-dongs from nowhere. We don't have the solution to the global war on drugs. But what we do understand is the fact that if drugs are labeled, if you intervene in the market and test and label drugs and put them back into the market, nobody who is using those drugs will overdose fatally. And, uh, you know, we have we have a data set and a, from from our understanding of our own provision of these drugs, nobody has overdosed, period, from taking our drugs. Um, so, you know, when it comes down to it, if we want to talk about this, the rate of death, the staggering rate of death we're seeing in our community, you know, I respond to an overdose, you know, like once a week I live in the downtown east side, which is kind of like the epicenter of this crisis in Vancouver. And it's like a real horrible thing. And we've tried every other avenue. We've worked for the government. We've done this. We've done that. You know. And at the end of the day, uh, none of that, none of the licit channels of engaging and trying to fix this problem uh, yielded any, any dent or change in the way the system operates. And I think, you know, what we're starting to see from the us increasing the pressure is that least politicians are starting to listen to people who use drugs. You know. Now, am I right that the province did attempt to put together its own kind of safe supply um, thing? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm on that program. I like to call it, I can't believe it's not safe supply. So ostensibly, if you're using illicit narcotics, you can go to your doctor. Assuming you have a, a prescribing doctor and a pharmacist that will fill the prescription, you can get what's called replacement therapy. So for instance, if I go to my doctor and I'm like, I'm using street methamphetamine, they'll give me a prescription for dexedrine under these guidelines, right? However, I'm like, if I want to use cocaine, there's no prescription cocaine. If I want to smoke methamphetamine, I can't, you know, smoke these uh, dexedrine pills. So there's, there's like very severe limitations, plus the, the fact that you have to get integrated into a medicalized system 
uh, you know, where you get a mental health diagnosis of having a substance use disorder, which Lord knows what that'll do further down the line. So really, you know, the, the systems they're creating are, uh, you know, pan panopticonical extensions of the prison industrial complex. And that's why they're not working because people who use drugs, you know, 99% of folks who use drugs don't have chaotic patterns of use. And these, I can't believe it's not safe supply programs are designed, they're like managed alcohol programs or something. They're designed for folks who are having, you know, struggling with the way they're using drugs, which is not going to work for the vast majority of people. I think like the thing to know <laughs> is I'm like, you can go into a liquor store and buy 40 liters of liquor, you know, enough to kill a human being if you drank it all, let alone like, you know, put it in your or like some other route of administration that would get you drunk way faster. So, uh, you know, you have this fatal drug that's being sold in regular. I'm like, do the same thing with drugs to prevent the death and the, the, the criminal contingents from making so much money and all the blah, 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 blah. You know, the problem is I think the war on drugs more generally is such a linchpin of the way our society operates that once you start poking the bear, you know, you're kind of playing Kerplunk and just pulling, pulling sticks out until all the marbles fall down. Uh, and it's not a pleasant, like me and Jeremy, I think like initially we were more afraid of arrest than we are right now, but uh, definitely it's something always in the back of our minds that like what we're doing is not, it's not legal. So, you know, but, but at, at the end of the day, it's like, if you want to do a specific drug, you're going to go out and get that drug. And if you're going to go out and get that drug, you should not that shouldn't be like a life or death decision. You know, I think our society uh, in, a, in a very Republican sense should be past the point where if someone wants to do a little cocaine or something, they're not risking their life to have, you know, fun. It's a, it's pretty preposterous. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it, again, it's important not to get lost in the semantics of, you know, safer supply, safe supply. I mean, the, just making it a reality. And the reality is, is if people, can't get drugs that they want and know what's in it it's it's not safe supply so if they can't access it through you know barriers of medicalization then it's not safe supply if it's not what they want and it's not what they're going to use then it's not safe supply and the bottom line is with safe supply lives are saved i mean that's yeah, yeah. Not like, I, like we were saying no one's died from taking our drugs we can say that with you know, gusto, gusto, whatever. Gusto, ostensive gusto. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a real dumb situation, but you have to think about how much money going to the courts and prisons and prosecutors and DAs and judges and blah, blah. Like, if you're like, nah, the war on drugs is just over, I'm like, you have to have this like massive shift away from like the new Jim Crow model of you know, population management. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And it's, and it's, I don't know. It's not, not going to be an easy thing to do, but I think we're very lucky that Vancouver is kind of like the mecca of harm reduction. I don't think you'd be able to do what we're doing anywhere else if they're going to prison. You know, and, and being the epicenter of all this death, like, I don't think, like, people are like, ah, no, this is actually a serious problem here, you know? Because it's not just, and that's what it's like, when I say it's like a Republican issue, I'm like, it stretches every class, every strata of society is impacted by this problem in BC. So it's not just a, uh, 
you know, oh, the poor people in the ghetto are dying. It's like, oh, my Shawnee is dead. My Shawnee, like some white middle class, you know, Karen. <laughs> I don't know if we should say that. I'm sorry. Whatever. Blame me. Blame me. Jeremy's a, this Jeremy's a good one. I'm a bad one. Eris just mentioned money. I think that's really important to, to dig onto a little bit because it seems like minus the traditional kind of conservative familial values of, you know, abstinence um, and, you know, kind of what that all entails, everybody should be on board with safe supply because it, it hits on every facet that, you know, is, is driven on these, these sort of platforms it reduces organized crime it saves lives it saves money it helps you know create more managed society and so it, it helps everyone um minus the people that you know everyone the the boogeyman of organized crime like it minus that that the only those are the only ones who serve the benefit from prohibition it's organized crime well, and the government, I, I do think the government serves, you know, there's huge benefit to regulating drugs. It allows you to create, you know, exclusion zones in society. This is my conversation with Jeremy Calicum and Eris Nix from the Drug Users Liberation Front in Vancouver, British Columbia. We'll have more in a moment. You're listening to Free Culture Radio. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. The Federal Centers for Disease Control has released an updated estimate of the number of overdose deaths in the United States in 2020. According to the CDC, a total of 93,398 people died from a drug overdose in 2020. That's not the final number. Those data won't be finalized for several months, so the number for 2020 could climb a little higher. The data also appear to show that overdose deaths are continuing to climb into 2021. Welcome back. Here's more from my conversation with Jeremy Calicum and Eris Nix from the Drug Users Liberation Front in Vancouver, British Columbia. Well, and that's again, that's the thing. You're you're taking this beyond. I mean, it is it is a talking point. It is a rhetorical thing, and we do discuss and discuss and discuss and talk it to bloody death. And you've actually you actually went out and started doing this, which is, um, yeah. I mean, you're heroes. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think we want to be so self-congratulatory because, I mean, the problem's way more up. You know, at the end of the day, I'm like, our model only goes so far. Our model just shows that uh, we kind of know what we're talking about, you know. Not that, you know, we're not saving lives to, like, five people a day still die in D.C. Uh, so I'm like, when you say we're heroes, I mean, maybe it's just like, watching a car crash kind of situation it doesn't feel good we're just doing the best we're, we're bailing out water when the boats you know underwater right <laughs> the thing is that nobody every yeah nobody else was bailing everybody else has been just looking at the water rise and looking at the bucket and thinking gosh maybe we should do something um if nothing and like i say if nothing else you you're 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 making the conversation take a different turn it's no longer a theory it's more like this is what 
can be done, um, and this is what is going to be done. So maybe get in front. As I mentioned, the uh, the event in July, because it made international news, I mean, you know, outside, it certainly got coverage in the province and also in the Wall Street Journal, in the Independent, and, um, and a lot of places. You actually did your, you, you handed out, you handed out safe supply in front of the Vancouver Police Department. So, I mean. We did do that uh, with the city councilor, yes. Yeah, so uh, we did that with uh, City Councilor Jean Swanson, who's you know a city of Vancouver city councilor. Her, her, she ran on a platform of being an activist, um, caring for the people, uh, wants to get things done. She donates everything she makes as a city councilor above you know a working person's wage to um, important causes. Um, so she she had donated to the Drug User Liberation Front in the past. Um, and as we were working on this this event, we're like, you know, I think Jean would do this. Like, from what I know about Jean, she would hop right on this because she cares about people and she knows what's right and what's wrong. So we um, emailed her and we explained to her what we were doing, why it was safe, how would we be doing it. And she's like, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. And uh, <clears throat> that was that was this. That's the story. She showed up. She did it. She made sure things were safe. And yeah, I think at the end of the day, we knew we're a very like optically oriented institution. So I think a lot of what we do and what we think is important uh, kind of stems from how much how much of a stir we can create in the public eye. And I think handing up police, you know drugs in front of the police station is going to make international news. So, and in that regard, it was a very like planned action, you know, it's, it takes from like the uh, situationist movement or whatever. You have, um, as, as you said, Vancouver and British Columbia is really a, really a, a, a center of harm reduction and has been for a very long time. I mean, you've got the, um, the, uh, you've got the, uh, the insight facility there in, uh, in Vancouver. It's, what is it now? Two decades of operation, which by the way, is one of the things that we're still working on down here in the U S we're, um, Portland, the city where I live is one of many, which is hoping to, um, put together a supervised consumption site. Um, the uh, one state so far, the state of Rhode Island, has actually passed the law and they are hoping to move forward. They are making plans to move forward. We, um, we of course, as you know, we had a change in administration. The former president finally left office and we have the new guy, the new guy with the new, um, with the new Justice Department. The last administration sued the city of Philadelphia, sued the nonprofit, I should say, at the, in the city of Philadelphia to stop them from trying to open a supervised consumption site. Um, and, uh, yeah, now we got the new administration. The state of Rhode Island wants to go ahead. And that was a month ago. The Justice Department, this new Justice Department, hasn't said a word about it. Not yet. Um, just for the benefit of listeners, I guess I, I do want to talk more about safe supply and the work you're doing, but... For the benefit of listeners, can you tell people what the supervised consumption site is all about and what kind of impact it really has? Um, 
I, I hope that what we say is, um, I'll, I'll try to frame it in a beneficial light, but uh, the supervised consumption site is somewhere where people can go, where people are going to go use drugs who are already going to use, so they can go somewhere where they can get clean supplies, so they don't, you know, contract bloodborne diseases using, you know, reusing needles or reusing smoking uh, supplies, so they can go there, they can be supervised if they overdose someone will be able to save them. It also acts as a point of contact to other services. So, you know, people who are using, and if they don't have any, any interaction with, with services, then they're, they have, they might not know where to go to seek, you know, assistance should they reach that, that point. But an important thing to say is that supervised injection sites are like the smallest band-aids. You can't, it's like trying to put like a piece of dental floss over like a bullet hole. It's, like the most most pathetic response like without without safe supply it's 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 nothing because it's not scalable people can you know you might have 12 booths in a supervised consumption site and people will be in there for like 30 minutes each uh minimum it's like in a day you might do 100 injections or maybe 200 if you're you're lucky but you know i imagine in in portland there's probably thousands thousands of people who use drugs who might probably don't want to go to a supervised injection site, just to be frank. But. <laughs> well, it is all about proximity. That is the thing. If you live, you know, if you live on, if you live the outer, you know, in some of the I outer mean, burbs, I, I mean, you're not, not going to, you're not going to drive into town. That's, you know. I'm not sure it's even that though. I know people that live right above safe injection sites who don't even go to them. I'm like, drug use is very ritualistic. Whatever your ritual is, whatever your day looks like, if it fits into your day, if it fits into your ritual, it'll work. If not, it won't. But Jeremy's right. Like, it's a, a supervised consumption site is a place you go to to overdose to be revived, basically, as far as I'm concerned in Vancouver, you know. Uh, and like, <laughs> not to bring this back to alcohol, but I'm like, what is a bar besides a supervised consumption site, you know? Um, but they'll, they'll provide you with a safe supply of alcohol. They're not, you know. <laughs> They're not just like, here's a cup, sit here and drink your moonshine. You know? That's what, that's the equivalent of a, you know, say it's supervised consumption site. They are good though. And I think, you know, to, as, as funny as we're finding this, what, there's a couple of major things they do do. One is distribute supplies, which will bring down rates of hep C, HIV, you know, other bloodborne diseases, syphilis, blah, blah, blah. Another thing is they actually prevent needles from showing up in your community. Uh, and this is like just like a proven academic fact if you read peer-reviewed journals is that any community that has a safe uh, you know needle distribution site not needle exchange but distribution just open distribution will have much less community presence of needles um, so I think you know that's that's just like a general good from having them I think there's like a lot of backwards Richard Nixon kind of law and order rhetoric uh about this issue so we are doing our best to dispel that you know the, the the your communities need these spaces but at the same time they're not enough to fix the kind of problem we're dealing with in vancouver and if they were we wouldn't have this problem <laughs> yeah. what do you have planned next i mean we're doing an action so august 31st is international overdose awareness day um not 
I don't think there's going to be as much of a farce, you know, to to this kind of event as the last one. We're not doing anything crazy like going into City Hall and handing out drugs, but we are showing that our model, we can expand it. So we're giving drugs to one of the uh, drug user groups in every every health authority in the province. So uh, folks in not just in Vancouver, but all over the province will receive Gulf Safe Supply. which I think will be interesting. We're also collaborating with a group called Mom Stop the Harm, who are mothers who have lost children to the crisis of prohibition. Uh, and we will be doing a large giveaway of drugs uh, from Vandu and Vancouver uh, in the afternoon on the 31st, which will be followed by a live stream, which everyone can tune into. Uh, more information about that will be available soon, probably midweek on Dolph's website, www.dolph.ca, D-U-L-F.ca. And that live stream will showcase some musical talent from our community as well as be like a celebration of our resilience in the face of this monstrous genocide against people who use drugs. So it'll it'll be a fun day, uh, but there won't be, you know, maybe not necessarily the kind of shenanigans people expect from us after the last event uh you know really at, at the end of the day i'm like we don't need to keep doing that if we're pushing the dialogue forward and i think the important thing is to you know neither of us want to be famous for what we're doing yeah it's jeremy kept saying it's like a circumstantial thing and i think you know at the end of the day uh what's important to us is that people stop dying <laughs> you know so as long as long as as long as we have that we don't really care if we're in the news or not. So that, you know, we're moving to sit down with the government to try and get, you know, an exemption for our kind of like market intervention. But ostensibly what we want them to do is be like, Dolph as an institution can test, relabel and redistribute drugs uh, without legal penalty. You know, we're not trying to make money, obviously. We're not criminals, we're not drug dealers. We don't sell, we wouldn't sell them for a profit, but just, that kind of marketing intervention, I think it'd save a lot of lives, you know, and continuing this free drug program. I mean, that's, that's always good. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? I think it's, uh, anyone can do this. If they have the resources, our model is very horizontal in terms of accessibility. I mean, you need to know basic things about accessing the dark web, blah, 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 but anyone could be purchasing drugs. And if you have, you know, I feel like this is more difficult for folks in the States, but if you have access to spectrographic testing, you could do what Dolph is doing in your community, you know? Uh, so, I, you know, to anyone out there that's listening, that's like, why don't we have this here? Like, it's very much, uh, you know, you got to bootstrap it and do it yourself and not be afraid of the police. Because when you're on the right side of history, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's hard to be vilified. Let's put it that way, right? So... For anyone else that's struggling with with the death caused by the regime of prohibition, the global regime of prohibition, know that, you know, we stand with you in solidarity and all power to the drug users. That was my conversation with Jeremy Callicum and Eris Nix from the Drug Users Liberation Front in Vancouver, British Columbia. International Overdose Awareness Day is August 31st. And that's it. Thank you for joining us. You have been listening to Free Culture Radio. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. Many thanks to my guests, Jeremy Callicum and Eris Nix from the Drug Users Liberation Front. A big thank you to everyone out there fighting for civil rights, human rights, and social justice. 
And of course, thanks especially to you, dear listener, for your support. You make it all worth it. If you're already a member of your local community radio station, thank you. Please, support your local community and public radio stations. Become a member today. Theme music for Free Culture Radio was composed and performed by Tom Nickel and Four Dimensional Nightmare. Find Free Culture Radio on the web at kboo.fm slash freeculture. We'll be back in a month to continue our examination of drugs, drug cultures, and the influence of drugs on society. Thanks again for listening. This is Doug McVeigh saying so long. So long. Oh, my God.